Welcome to episode number 21 on the My Story Podcast. The My Story Podcast features interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell us their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, my name's Conrad, and I'm your host for the show. I'm a filmmaker, entrepreneur, a storyteller, and today I am so excited that you've taken time to listen to this podcast. So how does adversity affect you? Does it inspire you to succeed or drag you down into the depths of despair? Today on the My Story podcast, we're going to hear Margie Pizarro's story. Margie grew up in the low country of South Carolina and faced many challenges as a young African-American girl. We'll hear how she took on those challenges and what motivated her to succeed. Today, Margie is a successful attorney and an author, and I think you'll be inspired by her story. Hey, if you enjoy the My Story podcast, I want to encourage you to share this episode and others with a friend. And if you could leave a review on Apple Podcast, I would be thrilled. And now here's my interview with Margie Pizarro. Welcome, Margie, to the My Story Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about, let's see, you and I connected because of, uh, we used to be a school teacher years ago in yep. South Carolina, correct? Yep. I taught fifth grade at Simpsonville Elementary School. That's where my wife met you uh, many years ago there at Simpsonville. Yep. Um, I taught fifth grade and Jody taught fourth grade. Right, right. <laughs> and so I really appreciate you being willing to come and and talk to me today. Uh, you know, th this podcast, we talk to a lot of people who are influencers and leaders and entrepreneurs. And you have a very interesting story in that you you grew up in in the deep south and you became a teacher and then you had a life change or a, a career change. Yeah. And now you are an attorney. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about where you came from, where'd you grow up and, and how'd you get to where you are today? Okay, so I was born and raised in the small town of Walterboro, South Carolina. Where's um, that at? It's in Colleton County. Um, my geography is horrible. <laughs> if I had a map, I would point. But um, <laughs> I think it's like maybe east or west of Charleston. Okay. Um, it's definitely east of Columbia. Gotcha. So um, I was uh, born and raised there, raised by my mom and my grandmother, uh, just grew up in a really poverty stricken situation. But thank God that he blessed me with brains and <laughs> a good demeanor because mm -hmm. I was just kind of my mother's smart child. You know, I always mm -hmm. did well in school, was just, you know, tried to be a really great kid. And um, a lot of people just like me. And I think it was because of the influence of my teachers and my intellect that I was able to do well in school, graduated at the top of my class, hmm. um, got a scholarship to go to Clemson and majored in education. Well, after my first year at Clemson, I got pregnant. Hmm. So I had to go back home to Walterboro, um, hmm. go back to work at the local Winn-Dixie where I was a cashier um, after spending a year in college. And um 
when I got back home, you know, you leave home and you see that, hey, there's a different lifestyle out there. Potentially there are different opportunities. Mm. And then to have to return home, I just knew I couldn't stay. I knew I had mm. to figure out a way to get back in the school and finish my degree. And thank God I was able to do that. So mm. I graduated from Clemson, got a degree in education, um, got married, had three other children and started teaching at Simpsonville Elementary School. Mm. And how long did you teach there at Simpsonville? I taught for a total of 12 years in Greenville County. I spent, I think, five or six years at Simpsonville Elementary School. Then I went to Bryson Middle, where I taught language arts and social studies, sixth grade. And then I spent my last two years uh, in the district working at Serene Elementary, where I taught fourth and fifth grade. <laughs> and it was during that time, I think about 2004. Between 2002 and 2004, I decided I want to go to law school, and I spent those next two years trying to figure out how to get into law school because, mm. you know, it's a kind of a non-traditional path to right. be an educator or to be anything else other than, you know, a major in political science or, um, you know, do an internship at a law office or a big law firm. So I really didn't take the traditional track. To get into law school, but I was able to get into law school in 2004 and finished in 2007. Hmm. So what initially motivated you to become a teacher? You know, I really don't remember <laughs> because I went to Clemson as a uh, as an accounting major. Oh wow! And, um, in my first semester, I got a D in accounting. So maybe <laughs> it's like <laughs> scratch that one off, right? <laughs> yeah, there's something different that I think I'm supposed to do, and you know. Clemson is just not traditionally known for, you know, being a school that you go to be an educator. Normally, you know, people that want to major in agriculture, people that want to major in engineering and, and uh, you know, dairy sciences and things like that. You go to Clemson, but mm -hmm. hey, they turn out good teachers, too. So <laughs> there you have it. So was it when you decided to you know, look into law school, what yeah. motivated that decision? Well, I will tell you what, like I said, I grew up really poor. We only had one TV in our house hmm. and we had to watch whatever my mother and my grandmother wanted to watch. <laughs> and I grew up on Westerns. I grew up on Bonanza, the Big Valley, High Chaparral, the Rifleman. I mean, because that's nice. all my mama wanted to watch. Sure. And you, you, you know, on those shows, there's always a good guy and a bad guy. And the good guy yep. always wins. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Matt Dillon always gets his man in the long run, you know. Right. <laughs> and so I just kind of grew up with this sense of fairness and that even, you know, even though things may look bad in the beginning, they're eventually always going to turn out right. Because like I said, Matt Dillon always gets his guy. Perry Mason always gets the guy to confess. And the, the mm. innocent party always goes free. So I grew up with a sense that, hey, if you do the right thing, good things are going to happen to you. And quite honestly, you know, I went through a situation where, you know, I needed an attorney and really didn't have the money to pay an attorney, you know, when I got a divorce and decided that, you know, um, I wanted to kind of change the trajectory of my life. I knew the importance of having someone to represent you and someone who could advocate for you that when that happens, things will can sometimes go in your favor. And then I just kind of put all those beliefs together. And then the clincher was, I was watching something on court TV 
And I saw this story about this um, African-American man. His name was Edward Lee Elmore. And he was charged with murder of um, this elderly white woman in this small town, Clover, South Carolina. And um, there was so much evidence that would have exonerated him. And there was an attorney in Columbia who was working on his appeal. And I had already, of course, had my interest in going to law school. And so I emailed this attorney and I said, listen, you don't know me, but I want to go to law school and I want to help you exonerate Everly Elmore. Hmm. He probably thought I was crazy, but he was like, <laughs> okay, if you want to come and help me, you can come and work in my office. And I started volunteering in his office. Wow. And I knew at that point, uh, I, I, okay, I, I want to go to law school. I've got to find a way to make this thing work. And um, I mean, the rest is history. I applied to law school. I, I didn't, not quite history yet, because I applied to law school in 2002 at USC and I didn't get accepted. I made the waiting list. So I had to go back and teach for two more years. And then I applied to law school at the Charleston School of Law, which was just opening and I was accepted and boom, that was then the rest is kind of history. Hmm. And so what did you do after you, you passed the bar exam? Well, I didn't pass the bar first time. (laughs) (laughs) I took the bar exam. And you know what I thought? This is so crazy. I was like, Lord, I have struggled so much in law school and you have just allowed me the opportunity to finish. I know you're not going to let me fail the bar exam. (laughs) (laughs) It does help to study, right? (laughs) Like, well, faith without works is dead. So, (laughs) so, um, I took the bar exam and I didn't pass. Oh my gosh. I was devastated. Mm. I mean, it's the worst thing in the world. All that work, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I acknowledged I guess a year or so later when I did pass the bar that I did not work. It's, mm. I did not. I had so many things going on. Oh my God. Personally, I could not focus. I could not put it together. Um, but I still thought the Lord was going to favor me and let me pass. He was like, mm. nah, not happening. You know, that's not the testimony you're going to give. <laughs> the testimony you're going to give is I worked hard the second time around. I studied and I really did a good job on the bar exam and I passed it. So um, after I passed it, I had already had a job working at a law firm um, doing criminal defense. Mm-hmm. And I, I stayed there for, I guess, about a year and then left that position and opened my own practice in September 2008. Hmm. And so what, what do you cover? What, what's your expertise? I, I have a true general practice. I do a lot of family court stuff, you know, whether it's child support, child custody, divorce. Um, I do criminal defense, still a good bit of that. I write wills. I probate estates. Um, I, I do everything except for real estate closings. Okay. I do a lot of personal injury, you know, workers' comp, things of that nature. But so I'm a real, really true general practitioner. Um, If someone calls me and it's something that I can't handle, I will, you know, lead them in the right direction. But I really try my best to, if I can't take care of it in this office, I'll send them, send someone to a colleague that I think can help them. Mm -hmm. So what is the state of the law these days in South Carolina? Well, You know, the natural answer could be that it's ever changing, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have a lot of discussions about different bills that come before the General Assembly, um, you know, and a lot of these things are in response to something that happens in the community. For example, Mm -hmm. I worked on a case uh, last year where a young lady got into a fight at an elementary school and she subsequently died. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, 
that kind of brought about a lot of talk about bullying because there was some evidence that this young lady was bullied, that the teachers knew about it, that they weren't responsive, um, that the child that she got into the fight with had so many other um, referrals and suspensions and, and even had some maybe some other juvenile uh, charges just kind of related to her conduct in school. So when that incident happened, there was there's an attorney who um, is also in the General Assembly and she went on the state house floor and and talked about bullying and talked about the fact that, yes, we need to do something about it. And I'm going to introduce legislation in response to that. Of course, it didn't get any didn't get far at all because, you know, something is, is newsworthy for a couple of weeks and it's in the forefront. And then, you know, everybody kind of retreats to their normal positions. Mm -hmm. So there are certain things that happen that make um, that make legislators and lawmakers, you know, on edge uh, about things that they should be doing anyway. Um, and then, you know, once the brouhaha subsides, you know, we again retreat back to our own corners and, and hope for the best. And sometimes mm -hmm. legislation is passed as a result. And sometimes it's just not. Mm -hmm. What is what's maybe something that you worked on that you really feel like, wow, this is this really is why I got into law? Well, I do. Um, I do a lot of domestic work. And, you know, of course, Jody and I taught school for a number of years together. And then, you know, I went through divorce and, and I, I mean, I left I left some elementary and went to another school and things of that nature. So I certainly had a life changing experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that. I'm not a doctor. So when I'm sick, I've got to go to somebody who has that knowledge and that expertise who can help me get well. Um, I just was not in a position where I could afford maybe the level of representation that I needed. So what I realized is that when someone is in a situation where they're leaving a relationship, they're leaving a situation that they that may not have been best for them and best for their family, you know, we're not uh, we're not experts. We have to go to someone who has that knowledge that can help us, you know, walk into this new new threshold across these new thresholds of our lives. And if you don't have the right person that's advocating you to help you do that, like I said before, there's no telling how things would turn out for you. So when someone comes to me, I had a single parent that was just in my office this morning who was just in tears about a situation um, involving her children. And what she told me happened with her children was one of the same things happened with my children. I'm like, listen, you know, this is how I handled it. This is not necessarily legal advice. This is just kind of woman to woman. You know, I went through that and I'm happy to tell you that your children will survive. You will go beyond this and your life will be even greater. Let's just get over this, this little minor obstacle. So when I'm able to help people reach another level in their lives, um, whether it's a domestic case or whether there's some, you know, young, dumb kid that did something stupid and has got a criminal charge and we're able to get them in, you know, maybe pretrial intervention and they can kind of push the reset button on their lives. I get I mean, I get a lot of a good feeling um, when I'm able to do that. Sometimes I'm just not because, you know, I tell people all the time I don't make the facts. I just try to put them in the light that's most favorable to you to try to get you the best outcome. But whenever you know, we're happy with the outcome. My clients are. I'm like, okay, that's why I'm paying all that law school debt. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you've written a book about your story and I want to get into that in a little bit, but I want to go back to, so you grew up in a, an impoverished area of South Carolina and I'm sure yeah. the poverty there was just unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm sure there were other children in your neighborhood who lived where you did. And they didn't get to where you are today. What was it about you? What was in you that got you 
out of that situation and motivated you to make those changes and those decisions to get you where you are today? You know, I always said, if you have one experience, one encounter that's different from your norm, that's all the exposure that you need to at least, you know, spark something in you that says, hey, there's something different out there. So when I grew up, we didn't even have a car. We had to walk everywhere. Mm. And this was in the era. So funny. Now we're returning to paper bags. Mm. I mean, (laughs) I hated walking two miles from the store, from the grocery store, mind you, carrying our milk in a paper bag because it was going to be on the ground before you got home. (laughs) Now we're going back to paper bags in the environment. But um, so we walked everywhere, but there was like this lady that lived up the street from us. And, you know, I would go and do little errands for her, run to the store. I would go clean out her car. And every once in a while, she would go shopping in Charleston, you know, 45 minutes away. And she would take me with her. And I would go to the mall and I rode the escalator and, you know, she would buy me something every once in a while. So I was like, wow, you know, when people have cars, this is what they do (laughs) 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 to have this whole nother experience. Um, So it was it was taking in every single experience that I had and just kind of soaking it up and in some ways comparing it to what my normal was. And then saying, well, maybe if I work hard enough, you know, I can get a job at the hospital like Christova. I can have a car like Christova and go shopping at the mall. So and then even my teachers, like I said, because I I was just a smart girl and I did well in school, but I was a nice kid. I mean, I wasn't the kid that was getting in fights. I wasn't the kid that was talking back. I mean, so I think that teachers took an interest in me because if for nothing else, I was just a pleasant kid to be around. Mm -hmm. So then when, you know, I was on the academic team and like I said, we didn't have a car. So we had practice after school. I would have to depend on my teachers to give me a ride, you know, well, Margie, can you stay for practice today? Well, I don't have a ride. Well, I can take you home. Hey, there you go. Even when we traveled to competitions, if my mom wasn't able to pay, you know, my way, you know, teachers would just kind of step in. So I think that, and there were probably a lot of other kids in my neighborhood that probably had those same opportunities. I don't know why they didn't take advantage of them. I I, I don't know. I just know that I just knew I, I wanted more. I just wanted more in life because when I saw it, I saw, well, this is how people just how other people live. I want to live like that. And um, even to this day, you know, with even with my own children, when they were growing up and, you know, there were kids that may not have been as blessed or as fortunate as, as my children were in whatever way, shape or form, I would certainly say, hey, well, they can come and go with us or they can come and spend the night or we're going, uh, we're going to drive to Atlanta and spend the weekend for your birthday. Hey, see if they want to go. Because I was trying to do the same thing for somebody else's kid that somebody did for me, you know? so. You know, I've often said that, you know, you only know what you know. Yeah, yeah. And if yeah. and if you're in a situation and you only know this, because I grew up in Ohio, I gr- actually grew up in the Amish and Mennonite community. And when I was growing up, that's all I knew. Yeah. And I didn't know there was a bigger world out there oh, until yeah. I went off to college and realized yeah. that, oh, there's other people in the world who, you know, are people of faith, and but they don't dressed like an Amishman. And so I think that's the same in a lot of situations where, and especially, you know, folks, you know, know, kids who grew up maybe in the inner city or in Mm -hmm. impoverished areas, if they don't get to experience something outside of their 
realm, that's all they know. And that's yeah. what they'll do because that's what they know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, to me, when we look at those kids, sometimes we have to look at them through that lens. Had they had a different experience, would the present be the present for them or would it be something different, you know? And, and that's why I, I really tried to, to do that for my children, because I'm telling you other people, other people did that for me. And it's just, I mean, I think there's just such a continuum in life, you know, it's just so cyclical that the things that you pass through, you pass through them again in a different realm. You know, maybe, you know, I was the person who was getting a ride. Now I'm the person who's giving a ride, mm. you know? So I just think we just have to be mindful of the ways in which we could positively affect other people and even change their trajectory. Mm-hmm. Who were some of the people in your early life that influenced you most? Oh, well, I mean, I went to a Catholic school for kindergarten through third grade. And that was just because it was just a neighborhood school. And I mean, my mom would get us up in the morning, get us dressed, and, and we just walk. It was called back of the field because it was a field and the school was at the back of the field. And we would walk back there. And I will tell you what, those nuns and those sisters took such good care of us. You know, it, it, it's almost like, you know, you see these Catholic schools in inner cities. Like, what was the movie with Lauren Hill, Sister Act or whatever. And you see the way that they just loved on those kids. I had that experience. Mm. So my first, my first mentors, the first people that I looked up to were those nuns that were part of that Catholic church and part of the school. Because again, when we didn't have food, you know, they fed us at school. You know, when we, when we cried, I mean, they picked us up in our, in their arms and wiped our tears. I remember specifically my older sister um, was a year older than me. She was in a grade ahead of me and she was going on a field trip. And I don't know why I was so upset. I was just bawling hysterically because, you know, she was going on a field trip. And I just remember like Sister Marjorie, uh, you know, just picking me up and saying, where are you crying? And it's fine. And for some reason, I had a quarter. I guess my mom had given me a quarter or something. And I remember just like opening my hand slowly like. I don't know why I'm crying either because I have a quarter. <laughs> she was like, you shouldn't be crying. You've got all that money. You can go buy you some pity candy. So, <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it really was just teachers. You know, we didn't go to church on a regular basis. You know, we went to church like Christmas, Mother's Day, New Year's, whatever. But I had an aunt that went to church religiously and she took me to church with her as much as I would go. I mean, she made me an usher in the church. She made me, you know, parts of all these young women's auxiliaries in the church. So that was certainly where my faith was initially grounded. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm thankful for that. And and just teachers and and people in the community that would take a switch to us in a heartbeat, Mm -hmm. you know, because it really truly was a village that raised us. We grew up on this little dirt road where one way in and one way out, everybody Mm -hmm. knew each other. And um, just, just, I am a true product of my environment and that I took every single lesson, positive, negative, indifferent that my environment taught me. And I used that to get to kind of where I am. You know, I used it, turned those lemons into lemonade and, and it, it just all kind of fit together in the puzzle of my life. Hmm. So who are some of your biggest influences today? Oh, well, my husband is, and I'm not just saying that because he's sitting here. <laughs> 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 no, my husband is like, oh my God, he's such a stable force in my life, you know, and I realize I'm so extremely ambitious 
But that certainly has to be tempered because I could be running around here trying to be like the queen of England. (laughs) (laughs) I just had so much ambition, but my husband has, has helped me to kind of rein that in and to bloom where I'm planted, you know, to do what I know to do, to do what the Lord has purposed for my life. But at the same time, to do that in the confines of where I am. I mean, one time I wanted to move to California. I wanted to be Halle Berry's attorney and this, that, and the other. And um, it was like, mm, well, Margie, maybe that's not the thing for you to do right now. I'm not quite sure that, that he's called you to live in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so certainly my husband, um, my faith has gotten so much stronger. And I think, you know, it, hey, a result of adversity or a result of being an entrepreneur and having to get out here and hustle and, and, and figure out how to make your way in the world. Um, so I certainly, my uh, again, my relationship with God is so important to me. Um, my mom, my mom was a high school graduate. Um, she worked like as a domestic worker, you know, for her and my grandmother, they worked for the same family. And, you know, even though, you know, I shouldn't say, even though she only graduated from high school, you know, despite the fact that that's kind of the path that she took for her life, the lessons that my mom taught me about how you treat people, the lessons that my mom taught me about being a great person, regardless of the circumstances. Um, I tell this particular story. I've done commencement speeches at one of my alma maters for years. And I tell the story about these, these college students who were walking around in the neighborhood selling magazine subscriptions and how they came to our house now, mind you, we lived in this raggedy clapboard house that was falling apart, root, leaky roof, no central heating in there, rat infested. I mean, it was I mean, it was the worst of the worst, um, but it was comfortable. And, and, and listen, love, love, love the love that was in that house. But um, these college students come up selling these magazine subscriptions and my mom is buying them. And I'm like, wait a minute, lady. You're going to be hiding from the insurance man tomorrow because you can't afford to pay your insurance. You'll be hiding from bill collectors. And you are spending $30 on these magazine subscriptions. And so she buys the magazine subscriptions, signs up and everything. And then she asks the, these kids, um, these consumers, well, do y'all want something to eat? And they're like, yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, you're giving away money we don't have. Now you're going to give away our food. And as she is going in the kitchen, she makes them like, the biggest bologna and cheese sandwiches that you can imagine. Mm. And as she is making these sandwiches, she's talking to the Lord, to herself, whatever. And she's saying, you know, these kids are out here. They don't have anything to eat. You know, somebody may have to give one of mine a sandwich. Somebody may have to feed one of my kids. And I'm hearing this. And it, I didn't, it didn't resonate with me until years later. Like, man, you know, how many meals have I enjoyed at somebody else's table? You know, how many times have someone said to me, hey, Margie, let me bless you and your kids with this. So my mom was planting seeds Mm. that me and my children would reap. So, you know, that the those are the lessons. Those are, you know, the, the inspiration for me. The aspiration for me is to be like my mama, Mm. you know, just to to have that just foresight that says, you know, you bless somebody, not because you're expecting a blessing, but you just don't know. Right. So how do you think that adversity has been a catalyst for success for you? 
because I don't want to be broke. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be poor. Mm -hmm. Listen, I remember, oh my God, like I said, we lived in this small, tiny, oh God, this house, Lord help us. And um, man, me and my sister shared a bed and we're asleep. And all of a sudden, this rat, not a mouse, Conrad, a R-A-T, from outside has gotten in our house. And he is like coming into our room and we are yelling and screaming for our mom to come and do something. My mom goes outside and gets a shovel and she just like laid into that rat. She killed him dead and then took him and threw him outside and we made to bed. Like, man. I don't want to have that experience anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I don't know. I don't know. There's probably nothing very spiritual about that. But I mean, when you've been there and you find a path not to avoid having to go back there, you take that path. Mm-hmm. Do you and think like today? You, said, you don't know until you know, you right. know? Do you think in today's culture of just, easy living and how so many kids are growing up, you know, they get a participation trophy, yeah. you know, parents protect them from everything. Do you think that is going to be a hindrance to people in the future? I think it most certainly can. Now, I'm not saying that you know, unless you almost get bitten by a rat, you're not going to make it. <laughs> but, but I believe that um, I just read something about what was the the the, the affluenza kid? He's in trouble again. You oh, know, really? he violated his probation, and you know his whole defense was because they shielded him and protected him so much. He had no sense of remorse or no sense of right from wrong. Hmm. I there's a part of me that says, okay, that kind of makes sense, but then there's another part of me that says, you know, children are going to have their own experiences that are different than what we as adults teach them and that are also different from what we shield them from. So even, you know, my granddaughter goes to daycare and, you know, I I, I see her playing with her friends and, you know, if she takes someone's toy, um, you know, and her teacher doesn't say anything about it, yeah, she's going to continue to take that toy and take that toy and take that toy. But when she gets home, if she takes that toy, I may pop her. And so she's going to know that there's certainly a consequence related to that. So I think, I mean, I think that certainly as parents, I've done my my share of shielding, probably should have stopped a long time ago. But I think that when outside of the realm that's your house and your immediate surroundings, these kids, are they're going to know a friend that's homeless. They're going to know a friend that can't afford to pay for their lunch. They're going to have a friend that needs to borrow their jacket. So even though we shield them from certain things, they're going to have that experience. And you just hope that, that, that they have enough intrinsic motivation or intrinsic inspiration or aspiration to do something that's going to be positive. Mm. I, I certainly, I don't like the idea of participation trophies, mm. but at the same time, there are kids that need something. Sure. There are kids that need some kind of encouragement and it could be, you know, Hey, you know, you were the best ball gatherer, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't hit the home run, but mm-hmm. you were the best ball gatherer. Cause you, and you never know how far that's going to, going to take a kid. Um, but at the same time, I think that kids have will have opportunities to kind of show what they're made of, you know, and, 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 and what they know and what they've learned. And hopefully it'll be positive lessons. Mm-hmm. So out of all the experiences you've had, your life 
you know, across the length of your life. What's that one life lesson that really kind of drives you or, or guides you today? Well, I think I would probably say just some, just my children, because I think that I made some decisions that, you know, have, could have negatively affected them in as much as I thought that they would positive, positively affect them. For example, when I decided to go to law school, I left Greenville. I mean, I left Greenville and I moved to Somerville, moved to Charleston area back near where I grew up. And if I had thought better of it, of course, that affected my children's relationship with their father, with their with the members of their family, um, because when we left, the relationship didn't continue the same way it it was when we were there, obviously, you know, you've gone 300, you've moved 200 miles away. So could I have, could I have thought about it a little more? Could I have worked a little harder, even though the goal in front of me was I've got to finish law school. I've got to create um, another, another source of income. I've got to show them, you know, the importance of hard work. I, I felt good about the decision I made for the things that I wanted to show them, but you know, my grandmother said, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it or that there is there's always a way to do something. And I, I don't know. I know that my children have a different relationship with that side of their family. I'm not going to take total responsibility for it. But if I had thought about it a little differently, I don't know, maybe I would have done something differently. But that to me is a question that I don't have an answer to. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know, if you had stuck around a little longer or if you had done something or if you had not been so ambitious, if you had not decided you want to go and save the world, Mm -hmm. you know, but we can second guess ourselves all day long. I, um, I, at one point, at some point, I'm going to have to have peace about it and not not it be the thing that pops up when someone says, what's a, a life lesson that kind of resonates with mm-hmm. you, you know? So you decided to write a book a few years ago. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Why did you decide to write a book and what is it about? In 2012, I was kind of going back and forth to California because I was, I was single. Um, you know, my kids were mostly out of the house. And again, I was ambitious. And I ended up meeting an attorney who was a high profile um, divorce attorney in California. And I went to one of his seminars, was there for a week and it was great and went back and did the same seminar a year later for another week. And and I sent him an email and said, hey, you know, I would love to come to LA to kind of shadow in your office. And he said, well, if you come to LA, you know, I'm working on a case, maybe you can come and sit in on the case. And I said, sure. And um, so I went to California, um, sat in on the case. It was a great experience. Like I said, I was single. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna move to California. I'm gonna be a divorce attorney (laughs) in California. I went to take the California bar exam and it was a beast. Mm. It was a monster. I failed it miserably the first time. Went back and took it the second time. Failed it, probably made one point higher the second time. Mm. Went back the third time. Now, Milton and I were already married and I said, I'm still going to go. I'm going to beat this thing. It's not going to beat me. You know, Mm. so we go to California. I'm in a review class. I'm going to stay in California for a month. And then like two or three weeks, two weeks into my month, I'm like, Now, why am I taking this bar exam again? I'm married. We have a blended family. Milton has young children. Now, and I think I'm going to be going to practice law in California and South Carolina. No, (laughs) that is not going to work. So I still had another like two or three weeks in California. I didn't have anything to do once I decided I wanted to take a bar exam. So I remember walking to Staples and buying like 
like I have no technology. <laughs> you probably know that. So I bought like those little handheld recorders and I just started talking in it. And I just started talking about stories of my life. Story, I told my bologna and cheese sandwich about my mom, you know, told a story about my dad who, you know, wasn't real present in my life, but I just adored him. And when he came, he promised me a bicycle for my birthday and he didn't bring it. He only gave me a dollar. And, you know, I just started talking these stories into this recorder and I just had someone transcribe it. And that was the beginning of the book. Hmm. So uh, what's the book called? It's called How I Got From There to Here. And there is um, Walterboro growing up, that young girl in abject poverty raised by her mom and grandmother um, on that little dirt road to here, which is now I'm a lawyer. I own my own practice. I've been practicing law for even before that. I mean, I graduated from college. I have a master's degree. I have an advanced degree. You know, I own a law practice, you know, mm-hmm. so the little girl in Walterboro that seemingly had so many cards and a deck, so many decks stacked against her was through the help of, of people, through God's favor, through persistence and perseverance, was able to be the person that's on your podcast today. Mm. <laughs> wow, that, that's quite uh, an amazing journey that you've been on. And yeah. so when, so I like to, I always like to ask this question. So I'm a filmmaker primarily. I make, make documentaries. And uh, so when you're creating a documentary, you write a log line and a log line is just a short phrase that kind of describes the film. So when the movie about your life is made, what will the log line be? Oh my gosh. A little girl born into the world to change the world. <laughs> 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 Who went from there to here? <laughs> Who went from there to here to do that? Yes, yes, there you go. yes. <laughs> I have this picture. I mean, it's on the cover of my book, and it's like, you know, listen, we grew up poor, but I'm telling you what, when it was like picture day at school or Christmas, I mean, my mom just made sure we were like decked out. So I remember, you know, for my kindergarten picture, I had on this little pink dress. My mom had pressed my hair and gave me a bang in the front, two little curls on the side. I had my little pink fuzzy cotton ribbon in my hair and all the innocence and the wonder in my eyes that you could imagine. Despite everything that was going on, I still just was the queen of positivity, even at that young age. Mm. And that is just kind of sustained me. And even like us, like, I mean, my children, when I was in law school, my children and I were, were homeless for a period of time. We were evicted from an apartment. I had to go live with friends, you know, and my mom was like, you need to just come on home. I don't know why you don't just quit going to that school. Because I can't quit. That was what her mentality was. When things get too tough, just go home. Mm. And I, I just couldn't do that. So, um, you know, we had a lot, and, and there are stories about that in, in the book, that we just had so many experiences that, you know, that brought me from there to where I am right now. Mm. And, and I'm proud of the fact that we just, we made it. We made it, you know, proud mm. of that. So what's <laughs> the next big thing for you? Oh my gosh. I'll be honest with you. I keep telling my husband this all the time. I, my husband has a really unique story as well. You know, he was a single parent. He raised his three children. And that is such an anomaly for an African-American male to gain full custody of children and to raise them, to, to have an, an order for child support because you're taking care of your children and the other parent is, is not available or not able to. And so 
we're looking at trying to do some things on social media. We jump on Facebook Live every once in a while. And, you know, we kind of like have a yin and yang type, you know, lifestyle. You know, his thing is raise your kids up, get them up and get them out. I'm like, oh, honey, you're 25. You need help. Let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're looking at that. I believe that we both have a role in the ministry, again, because we both had so many obstacles to overcome. And I think that a part of ministry is telling your story and being transparent because I mean, we hear all the time, you know, God is no respect of person. If he did that for us to cause us to, to move forward, he can do the same thing for you. So, I mean, I think that there are just some other opportunities out there that we're looking at and, and hopefully the end game is always to reach someone, to teach someone, to use your experience, um, to help somebody get to the place that they're supposed to be. Hmm. So out of all your accomplishments, what are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud. Now, my husband is here again, but I'm serious. I was such a renegade. Maybe Jody remembers. (laughs) 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 Because I was such like an independent, free spirit type person. I mean, it's just me against the world. I mean, we're going to just, I'm going to do this. I, 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 me, me, me. I mean, I'm just going to depend on my wits and, and my intellect and my intelligence to get me to where I need to go. The thing that I like about the person I am now is I recognize so many other gifts and talents in other people. And I realize that, hey, it's not about me. You know, it's about what we do together as a team. And, you know, um, I like the fact that my husband and I work together to do things instead of it. You know, he's probably looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's really I really try to consult with him a lot more than I used to when I was a young, crazy person. But I think it just requires a level of, um, of, of knowing what's in your best interest, knowing what's best for you, not just what's best for you, what's best for your collective energy, what's best for your team. So I like the fact that I'm such a team player right now and am committed to being a team player. Um, Teamwork really does make the dream work. And And again, with the fact that I think that there are so many things that we have to do, so many people that we have to positively influence, I'm happy about making steps in that direction. Wow. Well, I really have enjoyed our conversation, and there's a lot more questions that that I could ask, but uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, where can people get a hold of you? Where can they find your book? So my book is on Amazon, somewhere out there. You just Google Margie Pizarro or um, how I got from there to here. Um, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. I think I'm the Margie Pizarro on Instagram. I'm on Facebook um, as Margie Pizarro. I'm on Twitter as Just Marge. So, I mean, I'm definitely out there. Uh, the Pizarro Law Firm, of course, is my is my practice. Uh, Margie Pizarro is my um, personal uh, website. Uh, I would love to hear from people. I love to, I love for people to read the book and, and hopefully take some inspiration from it. And um, I love the opportunity to tell my story. You know, I think um, there's just something about being transparent. You know, because sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, wow, that person could have never experienced this, that or the other. You just have no idea. And, you you know, like you said, you don't know until you know. You got to ask, too. And I like to be able to share that. So I appreciate you even even considering me to be a part of this. Sure. And we'll be sure to put some of those links in the show notes below. Uh, so to, to the final word, what would you say to that little girl who's living in the neighborhood close to where you grew up? 
Oh, I would say, honey, hold on. Help is coming. I would say, don't look, look beyond what these circumstances are right now. I know you went to bed hungry last night. I know, you know, you went to bed hearing adults fight and scream um, and, and didn't know what to do. You know, just, just, just hold on, just keep your faith. Just realize that there's something different and something better for you. If you just don't give up, I, you know, I have not been able to read that story about that young man who was, um, had signed to play at Georgia tech or something. His family was homeless and, you know, he lost his life or took his life mm -hmm. earlier this week. And Lord, to be able to say to that young man, honey, it's going to be okay. Let's get through this one minute, one hour, one day at a time, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's what I would say. Hold on. It, it it will eventually get better. Good words. Well, Margie Pizarro, thank you so much for spending time with us today on the My Story podcast. I really appreciate your time and loved hearing your story. Yay. Thank you. Thanks, Margie, for taking time to talk to me here on the My Story podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad we were able to connect and make this happen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you're hearing on this show, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends and family. And I'm also eager to hear your feedback, what you like, what you don't like. So if you could leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Next week on the My Story podcast, we're going to hear Tom Malloy's story. Tom is a critically acclaimed and award-winning actor. He initially wowed Hollywood with his stunning turn in the indie cult favorite Gravesend in 1998, which was produced by Oliver Stone. Tom became a trendsetter as one of the first successful triple hyphenate actor-writer-producers and has raised more than $25 million in private equity from independent financiers and has written, produced, and starred or co-starred in nearly all the films that his company, Trick Candle Productions, has made. He's also currently the president and co-founder of Glass House Distribution, a foreign sales and distribution company headquartered in New York. So be sure to come back next week for Tom's story, a little more inside information on what's going on in Hollywood. Hey, if you like the music on today's show, it's from my friend Drew Davidson. You can get his latest album and hear all his music on iTunes, Spotify, or on DrewDavidson.com. Last, if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what we can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast. Podcast.